welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information around the Washington National Guard. I'm Sarah Morris, and on today's episode, Joe and I sit down with Brigadier General Brian Grennan, the Land Component Commander for the Washington Army Guard. We visited him at the Seattle Police Station where he is the Chief of Police in one of their districts. We talked to General Grennan on how he has been able to manage his career throughout the ranks as a traditional guardsman and how he has been able to balance his military obligations with his civilian career and family. As you'll hear towards the end, we have to finish our conversation when he gets a call on the radio. Enjoy. Bigfoot country is earthquake country. If an earthquake were to happen right now, what would you do? When you feel the ground shaking, drop, cover, and hold on. Do not run or you may be injured by things falling. Remember, if you are near the ocean, the ground shaking is your warning that a tsunami may be coming. After the shaking stops, move to high ground and stay there. Make sure to listen to local emergency officials. Have enough supplies to be self-sufficient for two weeks after a disaster. For more information about earthquakes in Washington, visit mill.wa.gov preparedness. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's W-A National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. All right, so today we have Brigadier General Brian Grennan, and you are the Land Component Command. Yes, I'm the Land Component Commander. And then do you want to just give us a brief summary of your Army career? Sure, sure. Oh, I've been in the uh, the military for 30 years, so brief, I guess, would be kind of a, a Sub- challenge here. Subjective uh, term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I got commissioned uh, through uh, Washington State University in 1989 uh, and, uh, and joined the Guard. Uh, you know, it was one of those times when uh, there was uh, a big uh, reduction in force. And so I had kind of two goals. I wanted to be uh, uh, in the military and I also wanted to be a police officer. So I thought that that was the absolute, absolute time for me as a scholarship now that I had the opportunity to then join the guard and become a police officer. So I, I, I did both uh, um, and uh, joined a, as a field artillery officer, joined the artillery, uh, spent uh, many, many years uh, working through the different positions, you know, as a platoon leader, uh, as a battery commander, as an operations officer, as the XO, as a fire support officer, uh, and then becoming the commander of uh, the 2146 Field Artillery. Uh, and then, you know, I was lucky enough to, to, to get promoted to colonel and then be offered the, the, the command of the 81st Striker Brigade, or at that time it was the 81st Armored Brigade Combat Team. Uh, and, then, uh, uh, and then got promoted again. Uh, you know, and uh, ultimately, when I first joined, my uh, my only aspiration was be to if I could ever be was be the battalion commander of two one four six right. artillery. So that that was fantastic. On the side, uh, you know, in the meantime, uh, you know, I joined the police department, Seattle Police Department, and worked all my 
all the various uh, jobs within that. I was a bicycle officer. I was a SWAT officer. I was a patrol officer. Uh, and then, you know, sergeant, lieutenant, and now captain as a precinct commander. So uh, I think both jobs uh, complement each other. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between being in the military and being in law enforcement. Law enforcement is sort of a quasi, you know, military uh, organization in some respects, uh, much more heavy on the civilian side. Uh, but they both complemented uh, um uh, both careers, right. uh, but it but it was a challenge, you know. I mean, it's it's a challenge to do um, to to serve in today's Army National Guard. It's not impossible. It's just a challenge. And and uh, uh, and what I would say for younger officers and younger soldiers is that you can do both and you can be successful. You just have to understand that you know at times it's going to be a challenge. Right. So we're up here at the precinct that uh, you command um, kind of briefly describe the area that you're responsible for in Seattle. Sure. So I'm the uh, precinct commander of the East precinct uh, for the Seattle police department. Uh, my precinct, uh, basically uh, um, the boundaries are on the West side is I five um, that runs through the city on the North is the ship canal bridge uh, on the West uh, is our correction on the East is uh, Lake Washington and on the south is uh, I-90, so um, uh, there's probably 250,000 people that reside in here. I mean, that's just a guess. Uh, it's very, very densely populated. And then I have probably the most diverse uh, communities within the state of Washington. Uh, uh, matter of fact, one zip code a few years ago was the most zip uh, diverse um, um, zip code in the nation. Uh, right. 60 70 languages that were spoken wow. in that um in that uh zip code so i have very wealthy i have very poor i have uh, a thriving lgbtq community uh we have a historical kind of african-american community um and then we have uh university so we have uh, seattle university that's uh, within my uh precinct so i have the gamut of everything that you can think of and they all clash at times and there's some challenges in, in working through that. And then number of officers, roughly? Uh, I have about 150 officers and detectives that work for me. So commanding both uh, a uh, civilian law enforcement and then actually being a commander in the guard, kind of talk about those two parallels. You know, they're probably very similar in a way. Um, but different in some aspects too, I imagine. They are, they are. Um, you know, uh, to be successful in any job and, and, and to be a manager, you know, you, you definitely have to be accountable. You have to set the example. Uh, you have to have a strong work ethic. And I think both of those translates in either, either career field. Uh, and then you also have to, you know, develop the trust of your, you know, in the Army, it's your soldiers and your subordinate leaders. And in the, in, in the police department, it's the trust of your officers that you're there to, 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 to look out for them. Uh, but you also have to be, um, you have to be firm. You have to hold the standards. Uh, and we have, you know, a, a very thick policy manual that uh, we, we uh, ensure that our officers uh, uh, maintain uh, to, the, to the standard. Uh, and then the, you know, uh, the other piece of that is, is that I'm accountable to the community. So I go to probably one or two, sometimes three community meetings a night 
uh, and then I answer to the community and uh, I have to uh, explain to them the actions of my officers and uh, what we're doing as a police department to address their concerns. And I think that's no different than on the military side when you're talking to family members or say at uh, JBLM or some of the other communities where they're addressing the communities that reside in there or outside, you know, the impacts of the base on, you know, the surrounding communities. So it's uh, very similar. Uh, so um, we talked about some of the, the similarities and the differences, um, but really let's focus. I kind of want to focus on, on something we kind of already talked about prior um, to starting the interview was a uh, uh, M-Day officers. Uh, a lot of the time, you know, they kind of, they see certain ranks as almost impossible to get to. Um, you've you've kind of changed that. And it wasn't just you. It was also General Linton prior to you, General Fowler. Um, there's other ones. Colonel DeSofi works for the FBI, and, and he's a colonel. Um, describe being a, an M-Day officer and how you kind of manage both careers while still achieving success, because it can be done. Oh, absolutely. It can be done. But, uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 uh, everything worthwhile uh, uh, is difficult sometimes in the past and i'm not saying it's impossible but but what i well one i I truly love being in the washington army national guard i truly love being part of the military so it's that passion that really makes me want to do both jobs uh but uh you know for an m-day officer uh you really have to uh understand that uh it's not just about you it's about the soldiers it's about what your unit is doing and how you're going to prepare that unit so what that requires is it's not just showing up for drill weekends it's not just going to the mandatory schools but it's being in constant communication with your full-time staff that really work for you uh, and ensuring they understand what your priorities were what what your expectations are and making sure that they they work to that and if they don't, then then you, you need to be aware quickly and be able to adjust that. So as a young lieutenant that's working through the training plans, it's making sure that the training is fully planned, fully resourced, uh, and your your NCOs are 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 ready to to be the trainers that are out there. Uh, and it, and it takes time, and you know, you're not going to be compensated for that. But the comp- I guess the compensation is is that the unit is better off for it. And at the end of the day, if we're taking care of our soldiers, if we're making sure that they're trained, um, because we do have an expectation in the Army National Guard that at any given day, the balloon could go up and we could find ourselves against some adversary uh, on another continent. And uh, uh, that's the obligation that we have. Uh, And, uh, um, you know, for an M-Day leader, that's sort of the mindset that they need to have. And it's not impossible. Um, you know, I've been, I've been um, lucky in that uh, my job has understood that I have dual commitments. Now, the one thing that I uh, am absolutely um, um, very uh, a stickler on is, is that I make sure that my employer knows exactly what I'm doing well in advance so that there are no confusions. They understand, here are my obligations, here's what I need to do. Uh, and, and they understand that and they're able to adjust to, to, to make it work. What would you say is the hardest part about growing up through the ranks as an M-Day officer? Because like we're saying, like you're this great example of, mm-hmm. of that you can do it. And I'm sure time management is the, the biggest piece of that. But what are, 
what are some things that you've found that are diff- the most difficult in that going forward in the ranks as an MDA officer? Well, I think uh, um, I think you hit it on the head, and it's time management. Um, being in law enforcement, uh, you know, uh, especially early on in my career, I worked weekends, I worked holidays, um, and uh, you know, the challenge was was I would have a drill weekend, and I'd go right into work, and then maybe work through the weekend, and maybe not get a day off for for a while. Uh, and, and the impact is, you know, for my family. You right. know, my wife is extremely supportive of, of, of my military career, and she understands that. But you know, when you have kids, that that, that sometimes there's trade-offs, um, and uh, you know, those are the those are the challenges. But uh, when we join the military, uh, um, you know, those are those are some things that we just have to understand that that you know, um, there'll be some sacrifices for the greater good. For sure, I think the family support for any M-Day service member oh, absolutely. is it's critical. It's critical. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean, that's part of our uh, recruiting and retention is that if you don't win over the spouse, um, you know, you, you may not be able to keep the soldier in, and and that's so critically important because if the spouse understands the benefits of the guard, it's not just retirement, it's not just the medical when you retire. Um, but it's the other benefits that are out there. And, and, and I think uh, that's so critically important for us. Awesome. Uh, maybe switch gears real fast. Okay. Um, I'll pause real quick. That way you can cut it. Uh, so land component commander is your position. Um, briefly, I mean, describe what it is you do on a drill weekend, kind of your roles in the organization, that kind of thing. So I am uh, I am uh, the uh, the the senior commander uh, for all the um, uh, MSC level commands, so all the brigade level commanders. Um, um, you know, I'm, I'm the, the raider for the, for the brigade commanders, uh, and uh, um, I, I, I'm responsible to ensuring that their training plans meet uh, where we need to be according to their, you know, their, uh, their um, their specific, um, you know, training guide or a glide path, you know, because we got so many sort of disparate units. We've got, you know, the 96th Troop Command that is sort of an amalgamation of a whole bunch of different right. units yeah. that are in there. So they're, <laughs> they're a challenge, you know, and then we've got the 56 IO uh, information operations that has a, boy, such a critically important strategic national level mission. Um, that is so different than the 81st Brigade, which is a, uh, a striker brigade that is going to the National Training Center and then is, have a following mission to, to go to Europe in support of uh, the European assurance uh, that we're doing at the national and strategic levels. And then, you know, I mean, even down to our RTI, the Regional Training Institute, the 205th, you know, they, they have a specific mission uh, for professional military education at the NCO level that is critical to ensuring that our soldiers are properly trained. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of, uh, lot of different moving parts in that. And really, uh, you know, from the tag, uh, my focus, uh, a large majority of my time right now is focused on the 81st Striker Brigade because of their 
impending movement to the National Training Center. We as a state and the 81st Brigade hasn't been, haven't been to the National Training Center since 2000 and, wow, I think it was 2004, maybe 2004. 2005. Yeah, so it's been a long time. So it's, it's, it's a big deal, right. you know, and it's a big deal for the Army because once you complete the National Training Center, uh, the Army views you as certified uh, to deploy anywhere as part of um, the national security uh, um, plan that we that we that we have, um, um, and so that's a, taking up a good chunk of my time right now is getting them ready to uh, go to NTC, the National Training Center, and then their follow-on mission after that. Uh, and then the other the other uh, job that I have, and you may not know this, is that I'm also um, what they call dual hat. So I have a, a secondary role from the National Guard Bureau as uh, the Deputy Commanding General at JBLM uh, for mobilization. Okay. And I work uh -huh. for First Army, uh, First Army West. So uh, on that other side of the role, I have a two-star general that I report to, uh, but I also report to um, the, the installation commander, so General Valesky at this point, on mobilization. And, and that's really... Um, the Army has a plan in case of a large-scale conflict. Right. I mean, just recently uh, there was a lot of concerns about North Korea and, mm -hmm. and perhaps the, the military's response to that. And uh, in the last four or five years, they've really worked on how do we do a large-scale mobilization of our National Guard and Reserve soldiers. Uh, and JBLM is one of those um, uh, installations that have been designated as a mobilization facility. So within the first you know, a uh, week of uh, a major conflict where we're going to mobilize all uh, all of our soldiers. Uh, JBLM will have up to you know fourteen thousand soldiers right. in in, in, a, in a very quick order, and uh, so my responsibility there is to be the installation, the commander for the mobilization site uh, as we get them through. So uh, um, there's a lot of different roles and responsibilities mm -hmm. that, that that pull at my time. Yeah, a lot of time management. I was just kind of yeah, right. It. it was like not not just one hat in the military, but two, and then also your civilian job and family. And right. It's de I mean, definitely time management is a huge deal there. Right. But I'll tell you, I tell you, uh, I'm a huge supporter of the Washington State Cougars, so I still try and make it <laughs> as many games as I can. Yeah. Awesome, sir. What would you say is your leadership style, and does it translate from your military role and your uh, law enforcement role? Uh, yeah, so I, I think my leadership style has evolved over time. Uh, you know, as you get older, you, you, you recognize that uh, um, uh, being a leader has certain um, uh, unsaid, un, un, um, uh, ability to shape uh, uh, the actions of people. And you don't have to be you don't have to be angry, you don't have to yell in order to get things done. And I think uh, for me, I really work in the power of uh, conversation and suggestion and, and direct talk. Uh, I think that that's so, so important. Uh, um, you know, uh, as, as you're a younger leader, you, you know, you, you look, people, look at people around you and you think, okay, well that person, you know, he yelled and he, he got action, right? So you try and emulate that. And then you realize as you get older uh, and you, you rise up in the ranks that it really, it's not that, 
that's not how you motivate people. It's right. not how you get people to do the things that you, you want Maybe them like to do. Maybe like one or two yeah, of those people, but not right. the whole of them. Right, right. right. And so, so for me, my, my leadership style is being direct and, and, and talking to people and understanding what the problem set is and giving clear and concise guidance and what we need to go, what we need to do and what we need to take care of. Uh, and I, I do this here in the police department too. Uh, you know, uh, 99% of the time, whether it's a soldier or an officer, uh, if they make a mistake, they understand that they made a mistake, right? You know, I mean, there's certain things that you just, you, you can't let go, right? So right. when the military side, maybe there's a, a military uh, code of, you know, uh, M uh, UCMJ, UCMJ yeah. uh, and here, you know, maybe it's a, you know, a policy violation. Right. doesn't mean that, you know, that the, 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 the soldier or the officer uh, did something intentional, but, right. you, but you, you know, you have to hold people accountable because that's how what, that's how we function in the military and in law enforcement in order to have uh, an effective agency, an effective unit. Awesome. Do you have any questions? Uh, we'll go with the one we did with the NC, the senior NCO. Oh um, yeah, there we go. I, I think we this liked is a, this one. This is a good it's question, a good and I think yeah. uh, it, it works. Um, so sitting here today, uh, what would you tell young lieutenant or even young captain Grennan? Yeah, maybe not lieutenant because lieutenants still yeah. don't know. Still don't know, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Young, young you captain Grennan, maybe tell before that anything. first battery command. Um, what, what advice would you give them? What would you say to that person to, to say, hey, it's you're, you're going to get to general officer someday, but here's the steps you got to get? Well, I, I, I think it, it really goes to just you have to be involved. You have to make that effort. You can't just stand by and expect that you're going to get promoted, that you're going to get that job that you want, uh, and then people are going to say, oh, hey, uh, Lieutenant Grennan, you know, um, that job would be perfect for you. It's just not going to happen. You have to be the master of your own destiny. So you have to put in that time, your effort, uh, and then you have to ensure that people understand and know where you want to go. What's right. that direction that you want to be? Uh, when I was a brigade commander, um, I, I truly appreciated when somebody would say, hey, can I have five minutes of your time? I want to kind of tell you what I want to do. Because when, when, when you're looking at an organization, especially with the 81st Brigade where you had you know 4,000 plus soldiers, right. you, know, you, you don't know where everybody wants to do. And so when you start making decisions about who's going where, who's going there, it's it, there, there's not a lot of input unless you have that personal face-to-face -face conversations and says so that that's what I would say to the young lieutenant uh, uh, make sure that your commanders understand what you want to do and make sure that they know that that you're putting in the effort right and then they need to be able to see that you know and obviously it translates to readiness of the unit and you know quality training and all those other things like that and the second thing that I would tell you, uh, tell uh, a, a young officer is make sure, absolutely make sure that you get your, uh, your PME uh, completed on time. Because that is the biggest killer. For all reserve components. Is yeah. for reserve components, but you know, um, you know, for our, for our younger officers. Mm -hmm. We, you know, um, you know, some M day, M day leaders will say, well, you know, I, 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 we don't have a whole bunch of M day leaders in these specific positions. But I saw that when I was a brigade commander and I looked at it and I said, I want to put this M day soldier in there 
but he doesn't have the education. Right. He's not promotable right. because he hasn't had, or she hasn't had ILE. Right. She hasn't had the captain's career course, hasn't done those steps that are necessary to do it. So uh, look well in advance and plan out when you're going to go to that PME uh, so that it fits within your career, your right. civilian career. It fits within your military career and plan ahead because that's that's the way that you're going to be able to um, help you achieve um, your your aspirations in the guard and you know it impacted me I mean I it took me a while it took me longer than I expected to get through ILE and I think it helped me it's back a really year. really hard to get into the reserve component yeah, ILE it is. it is it is so you really have to like start like as soon as you hit major But yeah, yeah, that's the challenge. Yeah, you know, so that's what I would say that uh, uh, you got to be diligent about your own career, and and, and uh, uh, plan out how you're going to do that with the understanding that you know Captain Careers Corps, especially for some of the the lower density MOSs right. and the lower mm -hmm. density career fields, it's tougher to get into. So yep. understand that and start planning how you're going to do that because. Uh, uh, we are looking desperately for high-quality MDA officers to start filling those those other roles because the guard, uh, you know, we, we, there's only a very small segment that are active guard reserve, and the rest are MDA. This is an MDA organization, mm -hmm. and it has to be reflective of that. Right. I think what you're saying is super important, like that seeking mentorship right. from an officer's standpoint, because you're not going to net your officers above you are not necessarily going to reach down to you to help you if you're not asking for exactly some kind it. of feedback. Exactly it. And I don't know what you want to do. Right, I mean, exactly. I, I assume if you're an infantry officer, if you're a field artillery officer, that yeah. the next step is in your career path is going to be in the field artillery or it's right. going to be in the infantry. And that's what you're aspiring to do, unless you tell me. Exactly. Unless you tell us where you want to go. And then we'll start looking to say, okay, how do we make that fit? You know, maybe logistics is your career field. Yeah. And so maybe we set you up with an S4 position or or a logistics unit. It's going to be really good sound effects. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to leave this, this part in. <laughs> okay, good. But yeah, I think that that's true because I know all of my mentors, I've definitely gone out and I've seeked their yeah. advice yeah. on those next steps, especially if I was unsure if I should go one way or the other to get that senior input on which way might be better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying not to talk over the, the important feedback. <laughs> the folks at home listening, we are actually at the East Precinct. Yeah, we're here at the Precinct. Seattle, <laughs> yeah. so, so we just had a shooting in the Precinct, so I'm trying to listen to the radio too and to see what's going on. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I don't have anything else. I, I got anything else you want to answer? I, I don't, and I appreciate you coming all the way to Seattle. To of course. Thank you so much. Thank you.